Let's open our time in God's Word with prayer. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I pray for all of us that there is, uh, there is no place we'd rather be. Because the truth of the matter is, sometimes in our heart, there are places that we would rather be than in your love. And whether we get fooled by the world or tricked by the devil or just get caught up in our, our stuff, in our lives, I, I pray that with the worship, with your word, with, with the family of Christ, you would center us in Jesus and that that seed would grow so that it would be a life where we are just, we're desperately always trying to be with you in your arms because you comfort us, you hold us in our greatest distress, you save us. I pray these, your people, all of us, would know that more and more in our hearts, that we owe nothing. We owe nothing to God because you, Jesus, have paid it all. Thank you that we can be here, not just here at church, but thank you that we can be present with you. In the holy and precious name of Jesus, Son of God and our Lord, amen. I thank you all again for being here, and if you could turn your Bibles, again, if you don't have one, you are welcome to pick one up on the table, to Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 2, and I'm going to open us up reading Ephesians 2, verse 1 through 7, it should come up on screen, me and you bro, you know it, here we go. Ephesians 2, starting verse 1, again reading through verse 7. Paul writes, You were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and raised us up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Jesus Christ. Questions and the answer to those questions define our lives. Questions such as where you go to school, JA, prep, MRA, public school, here in this culture and context. Where are you going to college, Ole Miss, State, Southern, wherever it is that you may decide to go to college. What are you going to do with your life for a career? Accountant, God forbid. No, I love y'all accountants in here. Uh, Doctor, attorney, I'm just bad at math. Preacher, missionary, actor, musician, artist. What are you going to do? Who will you marry? Will you marry me? Those questions and the answer to those questions give shape and define our lives. 
but it is not, none of those are the most important question of our lives. The most important question of our lives is the same question that Jesus asked Peter over 2,000 years ago, and he asked all of us now, who do you say that I am? Jesus said. The biggest question of our lives is who is Jesus? Who do we say that he is? Now we can, uh, we can state the Apostles' Creed, and we state it today, and we're going to continue stating it through the summer in this series, and we can say this we believe. And like we can believe in stuff, as I talked about last Sunday, I mean, we can believe in a sports team, those of us who love sports, we can believe in a marriage, or maybe not believe in a marriage, we can believe in a church, we can believe in our standing in the community. We can believe in our job. But, you know, the Apostles' Creed was written so that we would say, man, this we believe. And be excited about it. And I know it's easy to come to, yeah, I believe in God, blah, 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 you know. And be much more excited about other things in our life. But this is the essence of our faith. But it's still not the most important thing that we believe. You know why? Because... The big bulk of the Apostles' Creed is centered around Jesus. Because it starts and ends with a more fundamental question of who Jesus is to you, to me, to us. Who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? There, there are a lot of answers out there, especially in, in this day and age. And many of them are false. A lot of answers. One answer you can hear is, hey, he's a great moral teacher. If Jesus was just a, a great moral teacher, then all like we need is just this moral toolbox to, to pick and share what we need at the time. Jesus uh, was a great man, great leader, great inspirer. No. Jesus is my Savior, you might say. And like many of us, we had that moment, maybe it was fourth grade, maybe fifth grade. I remember First Baptist Church in New Albany, Mississippi, we had this aisle... All my buddies and the first one at the end of the aisle got up at the altar call and then all of us wanted to follow that guy. So we, you know, we had that salvation moment then. But I would say, you know, we're just trying to be like everybody else. But then seventh, eighth grade, you know, I personally came down to the altar, received baptism. So he's my savior. And a lot of us can say that. But then do we live as if he is Lord? Or he is or is he just our spare tire. Like when things hit the fan, we pull over, we pull the Jesus card. Is he our fire insurance? Come to heaven and say, hey man, you know, I got my card, God. Because we're all going to stand for God. But then he could easily say, well, did your life reflect that he was Lord? Because as we all know, I mean, actions can speak louder than words. I mean, we can say he's Lord and we can confess, but are we moving and growing in Jesus being Lord. Because we're going to stand before God. All of us are going to stand before God. And we will have to answer those questions. We had a, uh, we had a staff retreat this past week. And, uh, you know, we we're talking some about the life of this church. And I shared about, you know, the life of this church that many of y'all know. The mission of raising leaders who raise families who raise the kingdom. Raising leaders for Christ. But, you know, I've always had a question that's thrown at me over and over again. What does a leader for Christ look like? And honestly, over the past three to six months, God has really clarified it with me that, you know, a leader for Christ, you know, it's not about everything you know, it's not about everything you do, 
What a leader for Christ is, is having Jesus Lord of your life. Because if he's Lord, then it impacts everything. Then it trickles down into relationships, into work, into marriage, into the lives of our children. That he is above everything. And we live so often that we put other things as Lord. But if Jesus is Lord, I mean, it, it's a change of our worldview. It's a, it, it changes our lives. And so, for so many of us, we know Jesus. And we can roll off the talk. We know him in Sunday school, but do we know him as Lord? Let me share what I mean. We know Jesus. I mean, we know the stories. I'm, I'm telling Jack, my youngest, stories of the Bible right now. What do we know? We know how he was born in a stable or maybe even some type of cave um, to a very poor family in a town where they were saying, you know, nothing good can come from Nazareth. Uh, he worked with his hands as a skilled carpenter most of his life. He grew up and went into a, basically an itinerant ministry. His main followers were reprobates, some of them whose lives were changed. He was criticized, criticized and slammed for hanging out with outcasts, hanging out with sinners. He washed their feet. He intentionally took the role of a servant. He touched lepers. He touched lepers. He called people to a decision, be part of his kingdom, of the kingdom of God. And then he didn't end well in his life. He was betrayed by one of his closest followers. His back felt the whip, spikes, really not nails, spikes, were nailed into his hands and into his feet. He hung on a cross beside two thieves. He died. He rose from the dead. Those are a lot of the stories of what the Gospels will share. And we know that. And a lot of you know that. We know those stories. But do we know him as Lord? Do we know him as, as Lord? A couple of statements I want to I share with you. As we're looking at the Apostles' Creed, it's a bit of like church history for all of us. These statements came from... Leaders of the church, only a hundred years after Jesus had died and rose again. This guy named Ignatius, some of you might have heard of him, most of us usually have not. But a hundred years ago, Ignatius stated, Be deaf to all those who speak apart from Jesus Christ, because he was of lineage of David, born of Mary. He ate and drank and suffered under Pontius Pilate. He died and was raised from the dead. Some of those actual words went into the Apostles' Creed. Another statement by this guy named Arrhenius. He said, The church, even scattered through all the world to the ends of the earth, has received, first from the apostles, then from the disciples, there is faith in no one but Jesus Christ, who is Son of God, who became flesh for our salvation. Now, you may ask, man, what, what about these quotes from someone from 100 A.D.? The point is that the life of Jesus happened and then something happened to start the church and to instill in his followers this faith in Christ. And those two statements that I read were made to be memorized, memorized by people who were baptized so that they would know that in their heart. I guess my point is, how do we get to know from knowing the stories and the life of Jesus to knowing him truly in our heart as Lord. And when we stand and say the Apostles' Creed, man, we mean it. 
And we love it, and it's our life, and it is what we believe. And we can say, man, Jesus is not just a moral teacher. Jesus is not just a person. Jesus is not just a story. He's in the gospel. He's Lord of all, both our lives personally, of creation in the universe, cosmically. He's Lord. How do we get there? How do we get there? Well, I'd say I can't do that. I'd say no human can do that. I'd say the Holy Spirit certainly can. And change your life, starting with melting your heart. Because when you get this, my wife says, you say it all the time, when we get, but man, when we get this, that He is Lord, man, we fall on our face. We can confess. And we can say, man, I, I can be healed by Jesus. Relationships can be healed by Jesus. I can be restored by Jesus. And life, first and foremost, is about Jesus. And being as we sang, here in His arms. But you kind of got to see our world in a different way. That's why I read the passage, or I read the passage from Ephesians 2. Because it really starts, love this passage, it starts of how we look at ourselves. And then it starts of how we look at Jesus. And so for us, man, Paul just, just lays it out there using some, some strong language. Looking back on it, he says, Ephesians 2, verse 1, you were dead. You were dead. Like, we're, we're born in this world, we're born dead. We're born dead. I don't know if you ever thought of it like that, but, but we are. Dead in sin. And he goes, following the prince of the power of the air. Following the prince of the power of the air. Following Satan. Like, literally, as we're born. That we're disobedient. That we're children of wrath. I mean, y'all, I mean, my wife can, I'm a positive dude. But this is like, this isn't good. For all of us, this is not good news. Actually, the bad news, I like to say, the bad news is much, much worse than we ever thought or imagined. And then there's good news. Verse 4. In my mind, two of the greatest words in all of Scripture. I love you to underline, but God. But God. All that bad stuff, then it says, but God. Being rich in mercy because of His great love... Even when we were dead. Even when we were dead. I would say like this. Jesus is not about second chance. Jesus is about second life. Like there's a new life. A greater life. A better life with Him. Made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. Nothing that we've done on our own. It's only by His grace. When we were dead, but God came in, poured out His grace on us in Christ. And then what happened? It says He's raised us up with Him. We're raised a new life with Christ, seated with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. And so that in coming ages, He might show the immeasurable riches of His grace toward us in Christ Jesus. And it's our past, our present, our future right there. Our past that we've been dead to sin. Our present that we can be raised with Christ. And our future that we can be seated with Him. And that throughout eternity... And we can know His love, the immeasurable... That is good news. The bad news is much worse than we thought. The good news is much better than we ever dreamed. But then you can say, you can say, man, come on, preacher man. I mean, like, you know, Monday cometh. Give me something that, you know, I can use, you know. Do better my job. Make a little more money. Get better with my wife. You know, come on, brother. I need something. I know this gospel stuff, but like impacting my life tomorrow and next week... This is the gospel. This is the best news. However, I get you. I'm, I'm hearing that, okay? 
thing is, as pastor, and I don't like share detail and stuff, but as pastor, man, I see people's lives, and man, they are jacked up, jacked up. And there's so much anxiety, so much anxiety about all sorts of stuff. And you know, one of the big anxieties is anxiety about status. I don't know if that's just around here where we live, anxiety about status. You know, I've got to hang with these people. I've got to go to this party. I've got to go to this school. You tracking with me? I've got to, you know, be in relationship with I've got to get this job because status is important. And it is. But then people fall into sin or people are just living in sin. And, man, none of that saves them. And they keep struggling and striving and anxiety just continues over and running this rat race like a little hamster on a wheel just spinning round and round. And like, when will it end? It ends in Jesus. It ends in Jesus. It ends by saying, you know, I, we, really can't save ourselves. Our jobs can't save us. Our marriages can't save us. I know, you know I mean, person of your dreams and love them, but can't save, our families can't save us. There's something in us that is inexorably broken. But Jesus saves us. Jesus saves us. So when we talk about the statement on the creed and in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord, I want us to take it seriously. Like, who is Jesus? Because we can say, great guy. We can say, moral teacher. We can say, hey, he's my Savior, but we don't live like it. But if he's Lord, man, it shapes everything around us. C.S. Lewis said, you know, Jesus said some radical, crazy stuff. I mean, I, I know him think, you know, good guy, all that. But if you look at what Jesus said, he's either one of two things. He is a lunatic or he's Lord. He's who he says he is. And there's no in-between. There's no in-between for us. I want to share some of the stuff that he said. It's on your scripture card. Some of the radical, some of the crazy stuff that he said. Because often we look at, hey, Jesus' teachings can save. No, Jesus saves. Jesus, the Christ, the Son of God, our Lord. What did he say? He said he was Son of Man who could forgive sins. Mark 2, 10 says, But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He goes on, So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. He has authority on earth. I want to focus on forgiving sins. You know what is so crazy? It is crazy what I've seen. is so many people put more impetus and put more on somebody in this world forgiving them than Jesus forgiving them. You know what I'm saying? Like, they just can't stand that, oh, this person is not going to forgive me. I just can't get right with this person. I just, you know, this relationship and going back to status is so important. But Jesus, when we confess and when we repent, it's forgiven. As the song said, it's white as snow. But yet, we're like, okay, great. But, you know, still want this person to forgive me. Hey, that person can be wrapped up in their own sin. And maybe they're dealing with some stuff. We, you, can be forgiven instantaneously when we confess and repent. And Jesus does that. We're clean. We're white as snow. And he said he can do that. So he says he's, he's God. He goes on and he says he's going to return again with power. They ask him in his mock trial. They said, who are you? Are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed? This is Mark 14, verse 61. Jesus said, I am. 
And you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. This is not like Jesus the Lamb. This is Jesus the Lion that is coming back. And I know we can like read and we can get into left behind type stuff, but he is coming back. We don't know the time. It could be today, could be tomorrow, could be next week. But he, and he's coming down with power. And the crazy thing is, see, when this dude, when this Pharisee heard that, man, that would have tripped him out, to just use a, a common phrase. It would have tripped him out because he would have thought back to this other scripture in Daniel that Jesus just quoted, Daniel 7, which says, and Jesus talked about himself, Behold, with the clouds of heaven, as Jesus said, there came one like a son of man, and he came to the ancient of days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. Who is Jesus for us? Who is Jesus? Because this Jesus... This is going past the teacher. This is going past even personal salvation. This Jesus is like cosmic. This Jesus reigns over all creation. This Jesus is king of kings, reigning over governments, reigning over kingdoms. I mean, he is coming down with power like a lion. that everything not only will be mine, everything is mine. And that's, that's the Jesus that knows you. Jesus knows you. Jesus knows you personally and wants to be Lord of your personal life. The Jesus who is... Cosmic and overall creation. He wants to be Lord of, of our lives right here. So the question going back over and over again is the same question Jesus asked Peter and his disciples. Who do you say that I am? Matthew 16, 13 through 15. Who do people say, Jesus said, that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Then, as in today, some people are saying, hey, great teacher, hey, great prophet, hey, great man, hey, great leader. And he says, but who, who do you say that I am? And then Peter, I mean, God love him. I mean, he denied him, he jumped out of the boat, he started sinking, but man, he... He throws it out here and he says, you are the Christ. You're the Son of God. And he said, man, no, no man, no person has revealed that to you. Only the Holy Spirit. That's what I'm talking about. Like, I mean, I, I can't do this. A person can't do this. But the Holy Spirit can melt your heart and help you see that, man, we, you, can't save ourselves. But Jesus, the Christ, the Son of God, the Lord, he, he saves us. And Jesus goes on, this is what I will build my church on. Jesus being Lord. And for this church and for every church, the only thing that a church is really built on and really grows from is Jesus being Lord. Proclaiming that in worship, proclaiming that to people individually, proclaiming that to the community, proclaiming that to the world. And I know church is a lot of times about buildings, about budgets and about people, but ultimately what matters most is, is Jesus Lord of this church and do we proclaim him as Lord and we have to because that's who he is how does this shape out in your life I mean like you know there's a so what question I mean I can, I can read you what Jesus said we can stand but like 
so what for your life? First is like, personally, personally, you can know God. I mean, you think about God, who we've talked about last week, creation created the universe, created you intimately, knitted you in the womb. We can see him in Jesus. He came to us in Jesus for God so loved that he sent his son. And that you and we all can know God. We can know him. He paid it all. I love that song. Jesus paid it all. Because see, so often, so often we're like, man, I, I owe God something. You know, I got to do good. I got to do this work. It even goes into our, our Bible study, into our church life, into our devotion. We're like, you know, it can't be that easy. We can't just be saved by grace. I want to help a brother out. You know, so we're going to help Jesus out here. And we're going to do some good. And that's going to get us even better in with Jesus. He's already done it. He's paid it. As bad as Paul said our hearts were, and they are, Jesus has, what he's done is paid it so it's washed white as snow. And then he can break chains in your life. We're going to sing this song as we take communion and break every chain. Because a lot of us have chains that hold us back. What do these chains look like? Past relationships. Maybe it's a former marriage. I know we got that. Death. Somebody taking a loved one too soon. Being angry at God. It's a chain that holds us back. Just, man, thinking you got a bad hand in life or something like that. Like, why, God? Why? It's a chain that holds us back. Maybe not being married and being single. God, why? Why can't you sin, Mr. or Miss Perfect? Chains that hold us back. Relationships that have gone bad. Chains that hold us back. Man, in Jesus... In Jesus, man, he heals it. He can heal it. When we repent, when we confess, when we give our life and say, I I don't know how you're going to work this out because I don't have the like five-step formula for it, but I know if I'm centered, if my life is centered and in your arms, man, he's going to bring about change. He's going to reshape your life where he's Lord. And you know, the thing is that often we're like, okay, if I get Jesus, then... You know, I'll have a better life, and that doesn't happen. And y'all know that. We get Jesus, and they still get hit with cancer. And they say, oh, by the way, it is terminal. And we get Jesus, and we lose a child. We, we get Jesus. He, he's Lord, and that divorce still goes through. We, we get Jesus, and he's Lord, and we remain jobless, or we remain just in a dead-end job. We get Jesus and He's Lord and relationships don't heal in this world on this earth. You know, several uh, years, well, like two or three years ago, I preached a sermon series and I said, life with Jesus is better. And uh, my staff, you know, Chris and Jill said, man, I love those slogans. And I do, life with Jesus is better. The thing is, it may not look better to the world as it, as it is. And so, you know, even now I'd probably tweak that. What I'd say is life with Jesus is enough. Life with Jesus is enough. Life with Jesus is enough to get past the junk that's in our life, even though if the junk kind of stays around. Hey, life with Jesus is enough. Life with Jesus is enough. Whether he physically wants to heal someone with cancer or use that cancer as his witness or use our own death as his witness and to his glory, life with Jesus is enough. Life with Jesus is better. It may not look to the world like it's better, or it may. Bottom line is... We don't know, but life of Jesus is enough. So, you know, 
today. I mean, I, I know a lot of the stuff that, that some of us are going through. And I know, like, it's, we love some practical steps, one, two, three, about, you know, here's how to have a better marriage, here's how to make more money, get about, you know, all that. End of the day, it begins and ends with Jesus. Our lives begin and end with what we think of him, of who he is. And for, for many of you, I know, we all know the stories. Man, I was raised on the stories. can recount the stories. Many of you can recount the stories. But do we know him as, as Lord? Just, just think about it. Please, do we know him as, as Lord? Because if something else is Lord, and it's very easy to be Lord, church can be Lord, family can be Lord, good stuff, fun times can be Lord, addictions can be Lord. Thrills can be Lord. Alcohol, partying, sex, Lord. If we can replace Jesus as Lord, our lives change. Again, how does that happen? Holy Spirit starts in your heart and it melts it. And you say, man, I can't save myself. I can't can't do it. And the good news is Jesus already has. And we fall on our face and we repent and we cry out. And in our worship, in our obedience to Jesus as Lord, we're changed. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, you are Lord of creation. You are Lord over death. You are Lord. You're Lord over us. But some of us may not know you as Lord. And I pray, even in the midst of our own sin, that we would hear your Holy Spirit. Because I know that those that are gathered in hearing the word proclaimed in worship and through your word, that it does melt hearts. And I pray internally, man, we would know you as Lord. And I do, I pray for healing in the relationships in the marriages, in the physical sufferings of this church family and for others in our extended family. But most of all, I pray that we would know that you are Lord and being Lord, you heal us. Heal us in this life and in the life to come. And the riches that you profess in your word and the place that you have for us to be seated and the life that you can raise up pray that all of us would live it, would live it. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you that in our sin, in our brokenness, in our, in our depths, you have come and you bring us home. You bring us home. May we know it now as we share in communion, as we come to your table. In the name of Jesus, amen.